Hi, I'm Julie Ross. And I'm Gregory Abbey. And you're listening to the Parenting Horizons podcast. Julie is a longtime parent educator and counselor. And Greg is an actor, writer, and director, and more importantly, a parent just like you. Through conversations covering a range of different topics, challenges, and roadblocks, we hope to give you a few of Julie's tools that might just help make parenting a little bit easier. Look, nobody's perfect, and parenting is challenging, to say the least. With a few skills under our belts, though, we might just be able to be good enough parents and enjoy the journey and our children a little bit more in the process. So welcome. We are back and talking about... How are you feeling, by the way? You ready? I'm ready. I'm good. Yes. Okay, cool. Today, we're going to talk about sibling rivalry, Mm -hmm. sibling conflicts, Mm -hmm. how we deal in those situations. Mm -hmm. I will share... So I have an older sister. She's three and a half years older than me. And um, like my mom's one joke forever was when Greg was 10 and Gretchen was 14... I told them if they didn't have anything nice to say to each other, then they shouldn't say anything at all, and they didn't speak for four years. <laughs> it wasn't quite that bad. I, what I remember is that we were, my take on it looking back was we were just different, well, we were definitely different personalities, but mm-hmm. we were also, there was a big enough gap, and I know this probably isn't true of all siblings, but for us, there was a big enough gap that we didn't have much in common. Sure. On top of having dissimilar you know, personalities. So that was part of it. I mean, now we're very close, and as we got older, that that will far, fall away. And so we definitely had some epic battles. And uh, I do have to give her credit. So this this is the most epic. My parents were gone, and we had the same exact stereo, and we were having like a stereo battle, like whose music, and we were driving each other insane. And it may have been the one time that actually, it, one of the few times that it came to blows uh-huh. over the stereo plane. We were totally going at it. And she, uh, it's not that she knew how, she turned off the power on my side of the house and I was too dumb to know how to use the breaker box. And I still remember her smug victory face as I was like, oh, you you thwarted me. Oh, that's amazing. It was pretty good. What a what a super clever sister to be able to do that. She brings it up occasionally. And I still remember the moment being in my room like, what happened? What? I don't, and hearing her stereo playing and, uh, but anyway, my parents weren't <laughs> home to even deal with that. So, you know, as we dive into this one, I guess the first concept I want to sort of dig into is something called, you call it the love scoreboard. Right. What is the love scoreboard? The love scoreboard is, I feel like the moment that a second child comes into the picture mm-hmm. and the moment that children ascertain that love is an important commodity in the family, that they themselves erect this scoreboard. The kids do. The kids do. So they're keeping score. They are keeping score. They're keeping close score. And they're always after the most love points from Mm. the parents. And they know, you know, to the point, what theirs is versus what any of their siblings is. Mom and dad, because mom and dad are not necessarily aware of this scoreboard, have Mm -hmm. a tendency to perpetuate it through their actions. And one of the ways that parents do that is by intervening in sibling conflict way too early. Okay. So the kids get into an argument. 
The parents jump in. They immediately assess the situation correctly or incorrectly about who did what to whom. And then they mete out this like punishment or consequences for one of the people. So they're judge and jury and usually heading towards one of the kids. Mm-hmm. So then that kid has suddenly scored some points on the love scoreboard. Right. So the kid who is coming out better, you know, the, that the parents are judging as the victim, let's say. Right, right. That kid gets the more love more love points. The kid who is judged as the perpetrator gets fewer love points. And what is the kid doing with that, though, psychologically? Like, why is that an issue? Well, so the way it often works is that one kid learns to get the other kid in trouble for stuff. Because if they can get the other kid in trouble- They're getting this affirmation they, from the parents. Right, they get all the love points. So the problem with parents intervening too early in sibling conflict is that a lot of what is happening has already happened. So if you think about it, like the classic thing that I I think most parents understand or it resonates for most parents is, you know, one kid putting their finger close to the other kid and saying, I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. I'm and the other kid is losing his mind. Losing. Yeah. Yeah. And and then they they slap that hand away. Right. Right. And then who gets the kid who slapped gets in trouble. Correct. But who actually was the perpetrator is the kid who's I'm not touching you. Right. So they've taunted Because they've learned that if they do that, the other child will be judged as the perpetrator and they'll get off not only scot-free, but they'll get more love points. And how cool is that? Yeah, it's the best. Right? It's the best. I'm number one. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So yeah, so the love scoreboard plays a big role in sibling rivalry. You know, it's mostly about the attention of the parents. Sure. I remember a story uh, that was told to me by a mother whose sons were very, very rivalrous with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, they were teenagers, mid-teens, I would say. And they had an older sister who was abroad studying or or maybe, I don't know if she was in college. But her two sons were just, they were close in age. They mm-hmm. were like 18 months apart. And they were just awful to each other. And it was constant chaos in their house. They would do things like take each other's clothes without asking and wear the clothes Mm because they were similar sizes. So anyway, the daughter who was overseas said, you know, send them over. I'd love to see them, you know, and, and we can have a vacation here. And mom was like, good riddance. So happy to let them go. And probably good luck, like handling them. Exactly. You know, and mom is imagining them on the plane for all those hours. And then, you know, how are they going to behave with the sister and all of that? But she washed her hands of it, figuring she'd get a little vacation herself. Sure. So she sent them off and there was not one fight between the two kids. Not one fight. The sister reported back and said, they're fine. They're going out and doing touristy things together. They're getting along. We're making dinners together. Totally, absolutely 100% fine. And, And here's the real key. They were fine, fine, fine. They 
came back, they got in the car, and the moment mom and dad were present again- It started again. It started right up. So you're connecting that to whatever negative or positive attention they're getting from the parents, obviously. Sure. It's it's kind of almost a performance for the parents because that's the way they get the love points. So if a if a parent comes to you like in the group because you must hear about this all the time, right? In groups or individual counseling, all the time. Like, oh my gosh, my my kids are battling; they're fighting all the time. What do I do? Yeah. Do you start usually with the concept of the love scoreboard? I usually do. Just the- so you understand philosophically, like this is what's potentially going on, and you may be making some mistakes in how you approach these conflicts based around this idea. Right, exactly. And, you know, I I tell parents it's their job to lower that scoreboard. It's the parent's job to be aware of it and to not play into it. So the way that they need to do that, first of all, is by practicing late intervention. Yeah, and you mentioned in the book the point that parents, there's a problem that parents jump into early. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons they do jump into early is they have an idea around how they think their kids should behave with each other. And so they're going to jump in and fix it right away. Mm -hmm. And you're saying that's problematic for a few different reasons. Right. Well, because it erects the the love scoreboard and it sets up this cycle of perpetrator and victim that just gets renewed and refreshed over and over and over again. And and look, I I get it. I mean, I have two children myself. And so I'm familiar with the concept of sibling rivalry on an intimate basis. Mm. But the problem is when, I mean, the issue is, and I, again, I get it. The chaos is almost, almost too much to bear Sure, when they're screaming at each other. Right. And, you know, the younger they are, the more likely it is to be physical. Sure. So I get that I've got to get in here and fix this because it's going to drive me insane. Right. Mm-hmm. But again, the problem is when we jump in too quickly, we have missed a major part of what's going on. We're not there. We're not present for the whole thing. So when I talk about late intervention, I'm really talking about kind of what you practice at a street before you cross a street. Mm -hmm. Stop, look, and listen. Make sure that there's no, there's nothing going on before you approach. You mean the idea is, it sounds like what happens often is that parents are jumping to an end result and dealing out the punishment quickly, making a decision. Like you said, it's almost like they're the judge making a snap decision with no knowledge of what's come before it, no understanding of the nuances or the circumstances of what's led to that moment, which we've all done and sometimes can be really tricky, especially when you're emotionally charged or annoyed or irritated. You jump in there, who did it? You make a snap decision, you punish that kid. But then you said, you know, obviously, even in just the way I described it, I can see how that love scoreboard works. And the one kid that got in trouble slinks away, down points, probably feeling bad about themselves. I mean, I've heard it among my own three kids because I don't always do it perfectly. I can hear my little one saying, you always are on their side. Right. You're always on their side. Exactly. No, I'm not. And me yelling back. <laughs> so that's good that we're I doing know. So it's, that's the main problem. It sounds like that's the main problem, right? Is yeah. that parents jump to a conclusion too quickly. Right. And I want parents to wait, to pause, to stop, to look, to listen, to try to be sure of what's going on before they intervene. And there's really 
only two reasons that you should intervene as a parent. One is if the child, if a child, if one of the children is asking for help. So one of the big mistakes, I would say, that my stepfather did was his go-to line was fight your own battles. Okay. And the problem is that during a conflict, right, I, I'm, I'm asking for help, right? I'm saying, dad, this sister or that sister or the other sister is doing X, Y, and Z. And he just washed his hand of it, fight your own battles. That's not what I'm asking parents to do. Because if someone's asking for help, what they're asking for is support in figuring out how to resolve that conflict. Kids don't necessarily know how to resolve relationship conflicts. They probably don't have a good model. Adults don't know how to do this either. Sure. So I'm not saying wash your hands of it. If a kid asks for help, you want to help. We should go through the four ways because now I'm a little little confused because- you also talk about, and I want to get into this, that you talk about um, allowing kids to resolve it kind of on their own. So you're, you're, but it's different. Your father's saying, fight your own bottles, I'm out. I guess your point is, to, how can you be there to support them, mm-hmm. figure it out? That's the mm-hmm. difference, right? I guess you want to be there as a parent to support them. So let's go through, let's go through the four ways you might do this. Sure. But let me, let me just also say, Another time that parents should intervene. Mm-hmm. So one time is if if the child or one of the children is asking for help, that ensures that you're going to intervene a lot. And the other is if somebody's being hurt. And I'm really talking about physical hurt, although we could be talking about emotional hurt over time. The problem is that a lot of parents view tears hmm. as that child's being emotionally hurt. And then they intervene when they may not need to. And I, you know, I speak from personal experience. I was so good at crocodile tears as right. a child. I mean, I could turn on the waterworks for nothing. And I got one of my sisters in trouble all <laughs> the time. Well, I had that thought when you said it's still a little confusing to me because if a ch- if, if a child is asking for support, but what if it's manipulative? You know, well, which exactly. it sounds like because it sounds like you were asking for support, but that you were being manipulative about it. Yes. Or or I wasn't really asking for help. I was I was crying and my my mother determined that I was being hurt by my sister because look at all the tears. Right. And, you know, I mean, I I was horrible. I, I'm just going to admit that uh, outright. I, you know, again, I could turn on the crocodile tears. So I speak from experience. So, and and the thing is, you know, there's two ways to jump into this, mm-hmm. right? To intervene, if we, if you will. Okay. Which kind of even the playing field, no matter if a child's asking for help or if they're crying with crocodile tears or if they're if they're physically being hurt. That is the time that a parent needs to intervene with discipline. Yeah. Right? Because I don't care what the other kid did to you first. We we do not touch other people's bodies mm-hmm. in a in an aggressive way. We just don't do that, right? So that's the one time that I don't I don't pay attention to the love scoreboard. I say go in, discipline, it's not okay. Right? Right? Um, so there's a zero tolerance policy around that. Zero tolerance, because kids need to understand that they can't use 
physical force right. with anybody. So that's the one time. But if if we look at the actual kind of technique for intervention, it almost doesn't, it's a supportive technique. Mm-hmm. And then it almost doesn't matter when you intervene or if a child asks for help or not, because you're supporting them in figuring out a resolution to their own conflict. So it doesn't really matter how you get in there. So even if it's you coming with crocodile te- tears or right. you know they literally ask for support or whatever it is, the idea is how do you handle it once you're engaged, I guess, with the conflict. Right? Absolutely. So a good rule of thumb is late intervention. But if you're going to intervene whenever, you want to use a conflict resolution technique. Tell me again why the late intervention is important. Because it allows you to take a step back. It's like pressing the pause button. Mm-hmm. So we've talked in other episodes about Zippy the Lippy. Right. So it allows you to think and assess and kind of analyze what's going on and not just react to it. So that means if you're actually hearing the conflict building in the other room, as opposed to jumping right in there is getting a sense of actually what's going on before you rush in and, you know, yes. give out the punishment. Is that what you mean? Absolutely. I mean, I, I remember um, when my daughter was younger and... She had a playmate over and they were playing in the other room. And this really, uh, what we're going to be talking about, Greg, applies to not just siblings, but peers. I heard heated voices. I heard raised voices. I heard battle cries, you know, beginning. But I took my own advice for once. And I I walked within earshot, but also within visibility so I could see them. And they were playing make-believe with their toys. Mm. So the conflict was between like a teddy bear and an alligator. They were like role-playing. They were role-playing. <laughs> they, weren't, they weren't really conflicting. So that late intervention allowed me to see what was really going on. And get a sense of and it. And get a sense of it, right. So let's say there's a conflict going on between siblings. The first thing you talk about, you know, the phrase you use is showing respect. Yeah. So I take that to mean, it seems like the idea of hearing each person's side as neutrally as you can, because I think sometimes what happens is it sounds like this is going to be a theme of this, is like rushing to an idea of what what's happening, right? And not not taking the time, even if maybe you know one child is in the wrong, right? Is that the idea? Yeah, that's absolutely the idea. Yeah, it's really about seeing yourself not as judge and jury, but seeing yourself as a mediator mm-hmm. who is respectful of both sides, who understands that, you know, whatever each individual's history is with each other that's leading up to this, whatever the current conflict is about, that they're both coming from a point of view that really needs to be respected. Even if it doesn't make any sense to you, I guess, right? I mean, because the idea is that we talk about this all the time in all the episodes about all different sorts of techniques and situations that, that everyone wants to feel valued and heard. Right. That seems like what this idea is when I read about it in your book that 
you're showing up to these conflicts, making sure, and this connects to the love scoreboard too, because if you don't do this, they're going to be trying to earn points, they're losing points, that you're able to be there with each child in a kind of present open way to hear like, okay, how do you see this? What's going on for you? Is that the idea? A hundred percent. I mean, not that I have, oh, <laughs> it's so hard to do that, but so ideally hard. that's what we're trying to do, right? Yes. And one of the big benefits of doing that is that when you respect that each child has a point of view, an opinion, a feeling about what's going on, and you voice that, it allows the other child to see how their words and actions impacted the first child. Mm -hmm. So it supports their moral development. Mm. So a lot of parents try to go about that by saying, Susie, can't you see that you hurt Johnny's feelings? Look at him, look at his face. He is so sad, <laughs> right? Well, that's that's judge and jury. You're not respecting whatever led Susie to the point of whatever she did to Johnny. Well, so, and then she just feels bad and shame. So maybe yeah. even if what Susie did was totally egregious, oh, yeah. you still have to give her an opportunity to voice her whatever's going on with her. Like, how do you see this? How did this happen? What's going on? Yeah. You're kind of maybe reflecting their feelings back to them yes. and that the other child is there to hear it. Because like in everything else we always talk about, it sounds like the other key to this now is like, you're setting up a dynamic about relationship conflict, right? With your kids that you can take through the rest of your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, kids need to be aware, people need to be aware of how their actions impact other people, right? We don't live in isolation. We don't live by ourselves on a des deserted island. We live in communities. So when if we look at the sibling relationship as kind of being a playing field, mm -hmm. upon which all the other relationships in their lives will be based, mm. it gives us the opportunity as parents to, instead of being immediately annoyed and frustrated with the sibling conflict, to see it as an opportunity to teach them something about as I said, how, how their words or actions impact other people, how to communicate if they're annoyed or frustrated or angry at someone in a way that is respectful to the other person. So this idea of respect that we've been talking about comes into play in how we model to them when, when one of these conflicts arises. So you, you would say, you would respect the fact that, you know, Susie was feeling provoked and jealous. And Johnny was feeling attacked and angry, right? All of that's valid. So when you say showing respect, that's sort of the first part of it is like, what is your experience of this? What's going on? Right, exactly. And that they both feel valued equally, that they both feel heard, right? So then you're now you're, you're a neutral love scoreboard. Yes. Right? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And then the next thing you have is giving support, and you talk about something called cooperative communication. So what do you mean when you say that, giving support? So giving support really refers to supporting them 
in coming up with a solution to what ultimately is their problem. So well, I think we talked in a previous episode. Yeah, whose problem is it? Yeah, exactly. And in in the case of siblings, I mean, the parent often has a secondary problem, which is that there's chaos and, and the parent's trying to get something done and not have to deal with this. But the primary problem lies between the two kids. What is that concept again? Can we just go over that again? When you talk about whose problem in it is it is not getting caught up. I mean, it's a little different in this situation because you're the parent, but- allowing them it's their problem it's their conflict it's not mm-hmm. that you won't be there to support but it's not for you to step in and fix and why and why is that important when you talk about the concept of whose problem is it well we want to I mean basically in terms of whose problem is it we want to let problems that come up stay between the people the problem has come up sure between right? between so I think maybe we talked about this in conjunction with like a spousal situation or a partnership mm-hmm. where the kid is trying to get, you know, aligned with either one one parent triangulate. or the other, triangulate. And how often the, you know, the parent, one parent will step into a conflict that just doesn't belong to them Well, at then all. it clouds it, just like I would think you're saying this can cloud it. If the parent jumps in and says, now it's the three of us, it gets kind of confusing, especially if you don't know, totally know what's going on or you start to take sides between the two. Right. So that's really the key, right? Is that you, you, you're there to give support, but not you know, interject yourself in the in the conflict to be like, now I'm a third person also deciding what happens. Right, exactly. And the idea is not that, like my stepfather did, you know, to wash your hands of it. If and it, be if totally problem, out of it. Yeah, and the problem doesn't belong to you, so not my problem. Um, the idea is in intervening, Going ahead and stepping into it, but how we step into it right. changes. That's the key, right? Yeah, just because it's not your problem as the parent doesn't mean you don't have a role. Our role as parents, when a problem occurs between two siblings or between a parent and a child or between two adults, our role is to support them in coming up with a solution, and that's what this kind of cooperative communication refers to is that like a mediator you hear both sides Mm -hmm. and then you ask questions open-ended questions that can spark ideas and it goes back to this idea of um we've mentioned brenda uland in a previous episode as well and she says that when we listen to someone that's the time when ideas begin to come to life and to grow and to expand and ultimately to flower. So when you're listening to the siblings in, in, and really listening and being present and not judging, you're creating that space. Mm-hmm. And then it allows you to ask these open-ended questions or these leading kind of questions where you say, uh, but not leading in terms of having a specific designation or destination in mind, but saying, for example, listen, I hear that you're jealous and, and you felt provoked, and I hear that you're feeling hurt and frustrated. I'm wondering if you two can figure out a way to work this out. Right. And and that question, can you think of a way to work this out, is 
in all likelihood going to be met with the answer of no. So Yeah, if she leaves the house forever, <laughs> it'll be fine. Exactly. Send them back where they <laughs> yes. belong. Well, I think what you say in the book, though, is that even if they can't necessarily do it in the moment, you're introducing the idea of it, right? That they're that right. they can at least begin thinking about the concept of like, hey, do you have an idea? If right. she feels this way and you feel that way, do you have an idea of how you might be able to resolve this? Yeah, and it plants the seed, a couple of seeds. One is the seed of confidence. So I, as a parent, have confidence that you two can work this out because you wouldn't be saying, can you think of something if you didn't believe they could? And the other seed that it plants is that there is a way to work it out, right? So that they're not stuck against a brick wall feeling like there is no solution. Ultimately, conflict is resolved by each person coming a little bit closer to the middle Mm -hmm. so that they're Mm -hmm. not diametrically opposed anymore. And so that question, can you to think of a way that you might be able to work this out, plants that as a seed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, parents will say to me, well, you know, that doesn't work because I asked them that question and they said no. And then they stalked off to their own rooms. So I have two comments to that. First of all, stalking off to your own room is a solution. Yeah, yeah. Right? So sure. here, you know, they've, they've, they're mad and they've, but, but they came up with a solution, right? To, to that particular conflict. But also asking that question really is very similar to planting seeds, actual seeds that grow actual plants, in, sure. you know, in nature. Um, you don't plant a seed and cover it with soil and water it and put it in the sunlight and stand over it. And if it has nothing's happened in the next 25 seconds, you don't dig it up and say, well, this is this is a bummer. It didn't work. No, we know that it has to establish a root system before we're going to see the like tiny green shoot of whatever plant it is. So asking this question is very similar in that every time you ask it, you're allowing the root system to grow. Right. It makes total sense because you're going to get an opportunity. There's going to be an opportunity for more conflict. <laughs> and now you've sort of set that up. I also get how you could go, oh, man, that didn't work. <laughs> right. I told him, Julie, I was like, can you come up with it? And he gave her the middle finger and left. So this is <laughs> exactly. and you can get discouraged. But I get it. I, I get it as you're talking about. It. It's like, hey, you've put it out there. Right. All of this stuff, sort of the emotional, social, psychological, it, I always feel like it's kind of like moving an iceberg. Like it's, it's not something that happens overnight. So I really right. love that idea. Like, don't get discouraged. Like if you try yeah. it and it doesn't work, you might have to try it. It might not work the first six conflicts, but that doesn't mean when they storm back to their room, they're not necessarily thinking about what you said or what you meant or who knows how they're turning it over. Is that right. the idea? And hopefully you're evolving towards this. Well, exactly. And, and, you know, it, it harkens back, it's resonating for me with the episode that we talked about the importance of tolerating our children's uncomfortable feelings. Right. It means tolerating their uncomfortable feelings toward each other as well. Not expecting a resolution, expecting them to stay mad at each other for a little while. That's okay. Yeah. It's part of the human condition, right? And it's really out of that discomfort that results 
come. Mm-hmm. You know, that little bit of struggle ultimately allows them to strengthen their wings mm. and to become good problem solvers. So parents need to be patient. They need to tolerate this. And then there's a, another component to this as well, which is that you know, let's say one doesn't give the middle finger to the other and storm off or that they don't storm off in opposite directions, but they continue to have this conflict. So you've asked the question. In in the moment, you mean they continue to have right, the conflict. Right. Okay. And you've asked the question, can you guys think of a way to work this out? And they're still very stuck. You know, they're like, no, because... They She's, can't see their side of it at all. It's just blaming the other kid. It, it, exactly. No, there's no recourse because it's entirely their fault. Precisely. Yeah, so, so what do you do if you're stuck there? Yeah, so that's when I tell parents that it's okay to use one of the communication blocks that we've talked about in previous ex- episodes, but being thoughtful about the way you use it. And the communication block is advice. Mm. Now, you don't want to give advice straight out because then it it remains a communication block. But if you put it in question form, Mm. it's a whole different story. And it's so great. So you can say, you know, I know sometimes it's hard to figure out, you know, solutions to a problem like this. I mean, I see that you both want to be using the same stereo. Sure. Right. <laughs> you both want to be playing your music at the same time. And that's, do you think maybe you guys could try this? And then whatever you're... Yes, that's exactly right. Okay. That's exactly okay. right. As anyway. opposed to, this is what you should do. Exactly. Because that just squashes them, right? So you want to, you want right. to, and I, you've talked about this before in a previous episode, like, you want to kind of pose it as a question so they feel a part of it, even yes. if they're like, yeah, that's a good idea. And then maybe they expand on it, right? Yeah, exactly. And I'm going to urge caution on the part of parents. Don't expect that they're going to go, oh, that's a great idea in the moment. Mm-hmm. Because they've already dug themselves into a hole. Sure. Right. And how embarrassing, right? I mean, most adults can't do that no. when they're riled up and upset and feel wronged and feel injustice. Right. It's very difficult in the moment to go, oh, well, yeah, mom, that's, that's a really like thoughtful a good... idea. It's great. Let's try that. Yeah, because then it's like somehow I think it feels like if you if you accept that idea right off the bat, that it invalidates what your original perspective mm-hmm. was. Mm-hmm. And and that's not the point. The point is to, again, food for thought, planting seeds. So you want to say, well, I, I wonder what would happen if you had a, a particular time of day. Right. You guys when... work out maybe a schedule when mm-hmm. you're doing your homework and, you know, they can do their homework or exactly. You're, you're throwing out the idea. Is that because one of the things on your list and maybe it's it's similar to what we've been talking about. But when you you know, the next thing you, you put in there is encouraging reciprocity. What do you mean by reciprocity? Is that the is that the same idea that we've already spoken of? Yeah, well, reciprocity, I think it's such a good word. And I think people need to understand in the largest sense what it means. Reciprocity refers to the idea that in any relationship, people have specific valid needs or feelings. 
And reciprocity means acknowledging that even though your feelings or your needs may seem diametrically opposed to mine, that they are still valid. And that's the only way that we can eventually move from you know, these two opposing positions into the middle is to go, well, I, you know, I don't necessarily agree, but I can see that that's valid for you. Mm -hmm. So acknowledging the idea that there are reciprocal, you know, everybody has reciprocal needs in a, in a relationship. Right. So, well, that's another like great life value, relationship value to sort of teach. That's what you're trying to say. Like mm -hmm. everyone's needs are important her point of view, their point of view is as important as yours. How do we work this out? So mm -hmm. everyone, you know, right. feels valued and heard. It just is sort of the thing you keep going back to, you know? Right, exactly. So that we can collaborate with one another and, and you know, be in a, rela in a relationship with one another. And that's why I say, you know, that, that idea of reciprocity in the larger sense is something that we really need to take in and get on a fundamental level. And then we're able to look at it in terms of sibling rivalry. We're able to look at it in terms of conflict between ourselves and our partner, ourselves and our boss. Yeah, at school with teachers at, or a teammate or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, exactly. It's applicable across the board. Yeah, the last thing you sort of list is support, supporting collaboration, which is what we've already been kind of talking about that. Mm -hmm. And that the idea is that you're then helping your kids to come up with a solution themselves about how to resolve the conflict. Is that the idea? Right, exactly. And that colla supporting collaboration starts with kind of that larger question of, can you guys think of a way to work it out? And then proceeds to, what do you think would happen if, or I wonder what would happen if, and us offering our advice in these question forms. Because what happens when we do it in question form is when they embrace it, and often they will, but not in that moment, but they'll, it'll percolate a little bit, they will come back and say, oh, I think this is a good idea. And it becomes theirs. Mm. Because we didn't say, well, what you should do is X, Y, or Z. And right. then it's our idea. And there's no way to frame it differently, sure. right? But if we say, well, what do you think would happen if you did? And they go, no, that would never work, right? And then they come back around and go, you know, I thought of something. Here's what would work. And it can be exactly what you said 20 minutes before, two days before. It gives them ownership over that solution. right? And the more ownership they have over the different solutions, the more it fills up their bank, let's say, where they can... You know, it, it becomes an internal resource sure. that they can then pull out for other situations. Well, the other thing you mentioned that I, I think was, I really like this part too, that I think is key is that if you are giving them the opportunity to figure it out on their own, start to do that without your help, you don't lose your, your time. And your own feelings, like you give the example of like, yeah. oh, you just made a cup of tea and you're going to read your book and you have a half an hour and you really want to do this. And suddenly they're battling it out. And now you have to get up and get engaged. And like then, you know, it's it's protecting yourself, right, as a parent to say like, I mean, that's a part time job to be navigating that conflict all the time. Right, exactly. 
Exactly. So what you want to do is you you do want to engage with them in ways that help them develop those internal resources. The more that you intervene by fixing it, the more you will have to intervene. The more you intervene by supporting them in coming up with a solution, the less you'll have to intervene because they will generalize previous solutions mm. to new new solutions, right? For the for whatever the current problem is. And, you know, I I also tell parents that a key component here at the end of this process where you have intervened in this more collaborative way is to disengage from it. Cause you, what, what do you mean? So I mean, you know, parents say, well, God, you know, then I'll just be stuck in that problem solving mode for the next two and a half hours. And I don't have two and a half hours to spend working through their feelings and their problem and supporting them. I don't want parents to spend two and a half hours. I want parents to go in with these techniques and create a couple of worthwhile potential solutions in question form. And then to disengage with empathy and encouragement and say, you know, guys, I don't, I'm not sure what the answer is either, but you know what? I know you can figure this out. And I'm going to go back to my tea <laughs> and my newspaper. And uh, and I'll keep mulling it over too. Sure. But, you know, you, you this is something you guys can do. And by that time, if you've kind of done it the way we've been talking about, their emotions won't be riding so high. Mm-hmm. So they won't be at the level of intensity that they may have been initially. And what I have found is that, look, I think most people like solutions. Most people like things tied up with a neat little bow at the end. Nobody really likes the, it's uncomfortable. Living in that. Yeah, it's uncomfortable to not know what's, you know, what's next or to to have things unresolved. And kids are no different. So what I typically find is when a parent disengages, that's when the kids will go, okay, well, you can have... Right, because they they might be exhausted by it too. Well, and yeah. also if they're getting attention from the parent around it and the parent is like, I'm out. Right. I, I, I was invested for a while, but I'm not spending three hours doing this. Yes. That the, you're saying that the children might be like, I'm out too because this is exhausting. <laughs> Generally, like a lot of kids probably feel the same way. Like I'm, I need a break from this. Oh, yeah. And you know what's funny, Greg, is that, you know, I can't tell you the, the countless times that I've had parents say that, you know, after having used this particular technique for a while, that a, a conflict will arise between their, their siblings and they'll walk in and they'll say, you know, it seems like you guys are having a problem. I see that you're feeling so such and such and you're feeling such and such. And the kids are like, and then, and they give it up right then. (laughs) Right. Because they don't, they're like, oh, here we go again. Right, right, right. I know mom or dad is not going to. I can't talk about my feelings uh, anymore. uh, Yeah. And mom or dad is not going to come up with a solution. So fine. We just won't, we won't engage. So I think we're going to do another episode because there's other specific techniques we can go into, but we've covered a lot of ground. Mm -hmm. If there were a couple of things you would say to parents to keep in mind when this situation arises, that there's a conflict, it seems to me that enter late. Yes. So we want to avoid early intervention. Mm -hmm. Listen with heart and be curious. So ideally what we're doing is we're showing up 
and we're making sure that they both feel valued. Maybe yep. even in your mind, you know one kid is way off, but yes. you're not going to get anywhere by saying, you're wrong, you're right, you win, go to your room, you, you go to your room, you, I'm sorry that happened to you. Right, exactly. You're not going to gain, right? You're not going to gain. There, is there any other like particular things to keep in mind? You said to really think about it before you get into it, right? Right. Listen with heart, be curious, uh, avoid that love scoreboard. Help and help yeah. them, I guess. Help yeah. them to to the key sounds like as opposed to telling them how to do it, to be there as a support to help them figure it out. Exactly. And the love scoreboard does come back into it. Be aware that that is a real thing. That love scoreboard, when it's up, you're fighting a losing battle. Your job is to take it down. And and that does mean respecting both children's feelings in a conflict as being valid and not trying to fix it, but really trying to support them in fixing it themselves. Thanks for listening to the Parenting Horizons podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share with your family and friends. And if you'd like to hear more about Julie's work, join one of her parenting groups, or see about individual counseling, please visit ParentingHorizons.com. Or you can email Julie at Julie.Ross at ParentingHorizons.com. See you next time.